Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hello and welcome into the Audio Ground School Podcast. My name is Nick Smith. I am your host and founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot, where we help students prepare and pass their FAA exam for private pilot. Now, I just got emailed a question about this. A lot of times this happens. You're going for your private pilot, but you can't get a third-class medical certificate. And you realize that maybe sport or recreational pilot certificates are better suited for you. You just want to fly for a hobby and that might be better suited for you. I can endorse you both as sport and recreational pilot. I have yet to do it for a recreational pilot. Usually I think it's like 90% of students go for private pilot and then 10% probably do sport pilot. I haven't seen very many recreational pilot out there who needed an endorsement. But if there is, I am able to endorse you. And what I have done Now, the material is about 90 to 95% the same stuff you learn in the ground school for sport and private pilot. And those differences, the 5 to 10% differences, I have in a couple documents. And then I have a list of sport pilot specific FAA written questions. So when people want a sport pilot endorsement, I just give them those two documents and then say, hey, when you, you know, study those documents and then when you need an endorsement, let me know. And each time about 15 to 20 students have done that and they've all passed. So I just want to throw that out there. If you are going for a sport pilot, our online ground school is well suited for that as well. Just let me know. Send me an email at team at and I'll hook you up with those docs. Now, today's episode, we're going to get into, we're going to continue the stuff on weight and balance. Our last episode, we talked about the theory of weight and balance, which is very, very important. So if you missed it, please go back and listen to that. It talks about you know why we care about weight and balance, what it means for safety of flight, and what it means for stability and all that stuff. So it's very, very important. And then today we're going to get into the procedure for weight and balance. Now, the procedure for weight and balance is something that you will need to do on the FA written, you'll need to do on your check ride, and you'll need to do anytime you have a new loading, new equipment installed, or are flying a new aircraft that you're unfamiliar with. You know, if you fly the same aircraft over and over again, let's say you buy an aircraft, fly that over and over again, you usually just fly with yourself, maybe a bag, right? You're gonna have the profile of your aircraft built into some app like ForeFlight or something like that. And you generally know if it didn't change much that you generally have a good idea of your weight and balance. So not necessarily going to have to break down and calculate these individual numbers every single time, but you do need to know your weight and balance. It's one of the required documents that you have to have in your aircraft. So you have to know that you're within the bounds and the the safety environment, the envelope of your aircraft. So we'll get into all that today. Now, before we get started, I want to start something new. Hopefully I remember to do this because I I think a few episodes, uh, probably more like a month ago, 
I said I was maybe going to do like a fun aviation fact. Well, I didn't follow through on that. So I'm sorry if you're excited about that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out your guys's reviews. Now, not everybody, but I'm going to pick maybe one or two reviews and read it out online on the podcast live. So to you guys hear your name called and hear your review. The reason I want to do this is because one, I really appreciate you guys. And I even appreciate it even more when you leave us a review because it really, really helps us out. So we have now had 110,000 downloads. We passed 100,000 downloads a couple weeks ago. And that is just so incredibly amazing. I started this podcast. I just was going to make audio lessons for our students. And I thought, hey, maybe I'll put it into a podcast. So the fact that we're over 110,000 downloads is just mind-boggling to me. So I really, really appreciate you guys for listening. And I would really, really appreciate it if you guys would leave a review and subscribe because it really helps us get seen in the search tools on all these different podcast apps. So whatever app you're on, I'll kind of rotate through the apps. Today, I'm going to read two from Apple Podcasts. So let's read those. And if you want to possibly have your review read, then please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. All right. So This first one is by, again, I don't know if these names are their true names or what, but Raptor Tracy. And they said, I took ground school in person about a year ago with my local flight school. It was the most challenging thing I've ever done. And my knowledge of everything at the end was patchy at best. I have spent the last year trying to refresh my memory of things through reading, looking at pictures and watching videos. I also have 15 flying lessons under my belt. At this point, however, everything felt familiar, but most of it wasn't meaningful and I felt stuck. So I'm so glad I found this. Five stars, incredibly helpful. So thank you, Raptor Tracy. Sweet name. Okay, the next one I want to read is What an Incredible Source to Consume Ground Knowledge. This is by Hyannis Pilot. It's a five-star review. My big thank you for this amazing podcast. I started my pilot journey this February. and My commute to the airport is rather long. I was looking for a way to make my driving both more enjoyable and productive. And thankfully, I ran into Nick's podcast. I found my dream of becoming a pilot later in my life that I would have liked to. But today is the youngest I'll ever be. (laughs) I like that. So I'm walking toward my dream with two kids by my side. So I really needed to find a way to consume my ground knowledge. That is amazing. Thank you, Hyannis Pilot. And thanks for sharing those cool insights into your life. And you're right. Today is the youngest you'll ever be. So thank you guys for the reviews. We have 4.9 out of 5 stars on Apple Podcasts. And again, I'll be kind of switching through the different podcast apps to read from there. But thank you guys for the reviews. And if you haven't left one yet, please do so and subscribe so you get you know, updates on when we drop new episodes, bonus episodes, and things like that. So thank you, and let's get started with today's lesson. All right, so if you're following along in the online ground school, you want to go ahead and go to my courses, click on step one, online ground school private pilot lessons. Then you want to go down to section 11 on weight and balance, and we're on lesson two of that section on procedure for weight and balance. Now, One thing that I want to just mention real quickly is if you are in the online ground school, you may notice that in the lessons there is a little update. I just, this is from student feedback. I often, you know, will update sort of the user interface based off student feedback. And we had some feedback that, you know, it was a little hard to navigate. 
it wasn't completely obvious where to navigate to new lessons. So now there's a sidebar on all the lessons that shows your course progress and the entire course outline. It's collapsible and you can click on different sections and lessons. So real cool. If you guys have any feedback on that, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, please feel free to send us an email at team at parttimepilot.com. But I think it's pretty nifty. So yeah, should help you guys out a lot. All right, without further ado, let's get into section 11 on weight and balance and lesson two, procedure for weight and balance. Luckily, aircraft manufacturers like Piper and Cessna do the dirty work for you and provide you with two simple tools to help you check that your center of mass is within safe limits of the aircraft as it was designed. Both are included in the weight and balance section of the approved flight manual. The first tool is a worksheet to calculate the location of your center of mass, AKA the center of gravity or CG. This point is always measured in inches from a specified reference point. This reference point is stated in the approved flight manual. While this is good to know, it is not critical information and you will not be able to make your calculations without. So basically what I'm trying to say is you can make your calculations without knowing where exactly that reference point is. It's not critical information to know. We talked about this in the last episode. It's usually at the firewall, which is the wall between your engine and the cockpit. That's usually the reference point where you measure your arms from. And we talked about that in the last episode. So not critical to know exactly where it is. You may get asked on your check ride, maybe, maybe not. So it's good to know, but it's not critical to know. The worksheet is gonna look something like what we have in the online ground school. Now I'm gonna describe it. It's basically a table with four columns and about, I don't know, 10 rows or so. The rows can change depending on how many stations you have in your aircraft. So the first column is gonna be the station. So we're gonna have the first station is just the basic empty way. So that's the entire aircraft if it was completely empty. The next rows are gonna be anything you add to the aircraft weight wise is going to have its own row. So the next one is pilot and front passengers. Okay, so in that front row of seats, any weight in that front row of seats, then the next row is gonna be passengers in the rear seats. So in that next rear seats, this is like a Cherokee Warrior, you know, or a Cessna 172, something that has, you know, just like pilot, left seat, right seat in the front, and then like one or two seats in the back. If your aircraft has more rows than that, then it's gonna have more rows in this weight and balance sheet. Then after that, you'll probably have fuel. So you're gonna have, you know, as you add fuel, that adds a weight. Then you're gonna have a baggage compartment. And then depending on what you have, you might have additional rows to kind of help you with your calculations. Like for example, the one we have in the online ground school here, it kind of tells you, okay, add up your ramp weight. What is that? And then subtract for the fuel that you burn during taxi and run up because we want the weight and balance for right when we take off. And so you're going to burn a little bit of fuel in taxi and run up. So it says, okay, that's, that assumes about two minutes or so. I think it's two minutes or something or 0.2 gallons, something like that, six minutes, or I don't know what it is, but depending on your aircraft manufacturer, they might put something like that in there. And then the last one is like the total loaded airplane before takeoff. All right. So that's the first column. The next column is going to be weight in pounds, and you're going to have to fill these next three columns in. The column after that is going to be the arm aft of the datum or reference point in inches. So that's the arm and that's the amount of inches behind the reference point of each station. And then the final one is going to be the moment in inches pounds. So you're going to have to calculate that. So what you do is you just fill out this table and then make the calculations. So you have to know the weights of each station and then you find the arms which of each station, which should be in your aircraft POH. 
and sometimes are already put into this table for you. And then you calculate the moment using weight and arm. And we talked about that equation and we'll get to that here in this one. So as you can see, there are eight rows and three columns of data that you need to fill out. And the manufacturer has already filled out some of that for you. Talked about that with the arm data. The following procedure will tell you where to find the remaining information and how to use it to calculate your center of gravity using this table. So first you want to find the basic empty weight and max gross weight. The first thing we need to do is find the basic empty weight and the max gross weight of the aircraft. It may also be called max weight or max takeoff weight. The max weight can be found in the limitations section of the approved flight manual. For the Cherokee Warrior we're using in this example, it's 2,440 pounds. So that's the max weight and it's also listed in that table, the weight and balance table that Cherokee, that the Cherokee Warrior POH has in there for us. So that's nice. And we don't need to calculate this, but we'll get to why we need to know this because it's one of the limitations of our aircraft that we have to stay below. So sometimes the max weight is stated in the weight and balance worksheet, as I said, you also sometimes see a ramp weight, which is the maximum weight you are allowed to leave the ramp with. And the difference between this weight and the max gross or max takeoff weight is the weight of the fuel you're expected to burn from your run up and taxi, which is about seven pounds. And again, that's what I mentioned earlier in this table. We have a ramp weight and they tell us a max ramp weight, and then it has a max gross weight or total loaded airplane weight. And the difference is what you burn during taxi and run up. So there's a max you can leave the ramp with, and then there's a max you can take off with. So if you really want to, you know, if your max takeoff weight is 2,440 pounds, you can leave the ramp with about seven pounds more knowing that you're going to burn that off just getting to the runway. All right, the empty weight of your aircraft should also be listed in your approved flight manual. However, this weight changes over time depending on what equipment is considered in the empty configuration. The empty weight should be tracked, noted, and maintained by the owner and operator of the aircraft. Along with the equipment that is considered a part of the empty weight, all unusable fuel and undrainable oil is also included in the empty weight. You should check with the owner and operator that the empty weight written in the flight manual is the most accurate and up-to-date number. So, And then once you have that empty weight, write it in the first blank cell of the weight and balance worksheet. So it says basic empty weight and then has under the weight column, you would put that there. Now, I mentioned that it can change, right? And you should check with the owner and operator. I actually knew somebody who failed their check ride because they used the empty weight that was in the POH, but that was not updated. And the updated empty weight because new equipment was installed was actually in the aircraft's maintenance logbooks, the airframe and power plant logbooks. And so you need to make sure that, especially for your check ride, that you have the most up-to-date empty weight that you're calculating it with. And then I also mentioned that all unusable fuel and undrainable oil is included in the empty weight. Now, what is unusable fuel and undrainable oil? Well, the pumps and the lead lines of like the fuel system and the oil system can only, they can't get to the nooks and crannies of the fuel tanks or the oil reservoirs. So there's always going to be a little puddle somewhere left over, usually has a certain weight that is included in the empty weight because they're basically assuming you're never going to get that out of the aircraft. So well, that's included into the empty weight. The next thing we'll need to do is find the aircraft's CG arm when empty. This should also be found in your approved flight manual and you should also check to make sure this number is accurate with the owner and operator of the aircraft. Now also when you see this on the FAA written exam, figures that they give you on the FAA written exam are going to tell you somewhere on that figure the empty weight and the empty weight arm. So unless they tell you in the question itself, 
it should be on the figure that they reference for that question. Okay, so once you have the CG arm, write it in the second cell of the first row for basic empty weight. So now we have the weight of a basic empty weight, and then we have our basic empty weight arm. Next, enter the combined weight of the pilot and the co-pilot in that front row of seats. Enter this in the first cell of the pilot and front passenger row. Next, enter the combined weight of all passengers in the rear seat of the aircraft. Enter this in the first cell of the passenger's rear seats row. And then next, enter the weight of fuel in pounds in the first cell of the fuel row, <laughs> sorry. And then aviation fuel can then be estimated as six pounds per gallon. So you usually know, and the reason I say this, you usually know your fuel in gallons, right? So if you fill up, for example, the, the Cherokee Warrior has a maximum of 48 usable gallons of fuel. So I know that, okay, I'm gonna fill this up all the way. So that's 48 gallons, but what is that in terms of weight? Well, aviation fuel is about six pounds per gallon. So we just take 48 gallons times six pounds per gallons to get 288 pounds. So that conversion of six pounds per gallons, no matter what your aircraft holds or how much in gallons you're going to take can be used. So if, if you're taking 20 gallons of fuel, then the pounds would be 20 times six or 120 pounds. And that's what you want. You don't want to enter the gallons into your table to calculate weight and balance because later on, when we get to it, we're going to add up all the weight. And if you add up a weight, if you add up pilot weight, the passenger weights, the baggage weights with a fuel amount in gallons, those units do not mix. You're going to mess up your weight and balance. So make sure what you enter for fuel is in terms of weight, not gallons. Gallons is a volume measurement. Okay. So it tells you how much in volume in space that that fuel takes up. And then weight is how heavy the fuel is. So they're two completely different units of measurement. So we can't, you know, we can't add gallons with pounds. So you have to make sure that you're putting in the fuel weight in pounds and not the volume in gallons. So to convert that, you just multiply it by six. All right. So finally, enter the weight of baggage you plan to place in the baggage compartment of the aircraft. Enter this into the first cell of the baggage row. If you plan to bring baggage, but keep it in the rear seat area, then you will have to calculate the baggage as if it was a rear passenger. So let's say you're flying solo and you're taking all your school books or something, and it's a pretty heavy backpack full of school books, and it's about 25 pounds of books, and you just place that in back seat. You don't put it in the baggage compartment. Well, wherever you place your baggage, that weight is going to be added for that station. So if you place your baggage in the rear passenger seats, then that's the weight for the rear passenger seats. If you place it in the rear passenger seats and there's a rear passenger that weighs 120 pounds, then you add the baggage and that rear passenger together. So 120 plus 25 pounds, 145 pounds, and that would be your rear passenger seat weight. And then there would be nothing in the baggage compartment or the baggage station. But if you put your baggage actually in the baggage station, the 25 pounds of baggage, then that your baggage station will have 25 pounds. So make sure just because it's baggage and you put it somewhere else in the aircraft, not in the baggage compartment, doesn't mean you would put the weight in the baggage station. You have to put the weight in the station that you're actually going to put it on when you go fly. Hopefully that makes sense. All right. So now that we have all the weights, so what we've done is we've gone through that table, we've gone through each station, and we've just added in all the weights that we're planning to take. So let's say I weigh about 180 pounds, so if I'm flying solo, I'll put in my empty weight from my aircraft, what I get from my POH. Then if I'm flying solo, then the pilot and front passenger station would be just me, so that'd be 180 pounds. And then in the back, let's just say I have a 15 pound bag, I'm not carrying any passengers, and I just put that in the back seat not in the baggage compartment. So I put 15 pounds in that passenger seat. Then let's say for fuel, I'm filling it up full, that 48 gallons. So 48 times six 
you know, again, make it in pounds is 288 pounds. So that would be the weight for my fuel station baggage. I put my baggage in the rear seat. There's nothing in the baggage compartment. So I'm going to put zero there. And then now we have put all our weights at all our stations into our table. All right. So now the next thing we can do is now that we have all the weights, we can now, if we don't already have the CG arms in our table, we go and find the CG arms for each station in our POH or our approved flight manual. So those are gonna be listed for each station. So the example here is already given in this table for the Cherokee Warrior. It tells us that the pilot and front passenger is 80.5 inches away. That station is 80.5 inches away from the reference point. The passenger rear seats is 118.1 inches away. The fuel, the center of the fuel tanks and the wings are 95 inches away. The baggage is 142.8 inches away. So yeah, for this example that are already in there, this is going to be given to you either already in the table or somewhere in the POH or AFM. So now that we have the weight and we have the CG arms for each station, we can move on to our next step, which is to calculate the moment for each of those five rows. All right, so to do that, and we talked about this in the last episode, we use a simple equation for a moment. A moment is the weight times the CG arm. So we do this for each station. We take the weight times the CG arm. And the way this table is lined up, we simply just multiply from left to right in the first two columns to get our answer in the third column. So we take the first column of weight, multiply that by the second column for arm in inches, and our answer we fill in to the third column for moment in inches and pounds. So for example, back to our example, let's say our basic empty weight was 2,000 pounds, our basic empty arm was 90 inches. Again, we would find this information from our POH or AFM or our maintenance logbooks. So I would do 2000 times 90 and I would put that answer into the moment section. And that answer is going to be in terms of inches, pounds. Then I would go to the next row, pilot and front passenger. Now, again, it's me flying solo. So I've put 180 pounds into that first seat station. So 180 times the arm, which is 80.5, would give me the moment. And I would enter that into the third column for moment. Then again, we go down to the next row, passengers. Again, remember I only put 15 pounds of baggage into the passenger seat. So 15 pounds times the arm for passengers, which is 118.1. What that comes out to, I put that in the third column for moment for the passenger row. Then for fuel, again, I said 288 pounds of fuel. That was 48 gallons of fuel times six equals 288 arm for fuel is 95 inches. So I do 288 times 95. That answer I put in the column for moment on the row for fuel. Then for baggage, I had nothing in the baggage compartment. So the weight was zero. So I do zero times 142.8, which is the arm for the baggage. And zero times anything is just zero. So the moment for the baggage compartment is zero. So I put in zero for that moment. And then now we've made all our single station moment calculations. So now we can move on to the next step. Once you've calculated the moments for all five rows or all the rows of stations that you have in your aircraft, now we wanna total up or sum up the weights and moments of the first five rows. And then we record them in the, and this depends on your aircraft, but for our example, we're gonna record them in our ramp weight row, okay? So this is before we taxi and do our run up and prior to takeoff, this is in our ramp weight, right? This is the weight we're gonna have because we have total fuel, we haven't burnt any fuel yet, 
this is the weight. So we add up all the weights. We add up the basic empty weight plus the pilot and front passenger weight. So I said the basic empty weight was 2000 plus me, which is 180 pounds in that pilot and front passenger station. Then in the passenger row, I just had 15 pounds of bags. So now we're at 2000 plus 180 plus 15. That's 2,195 pounds. And then fuel was 288. So I'm going to have to get out my calculator for this one. But so we now we add 288. So we have 2,000 for our empty weight plus 180 pounds for me in that first row plus 15 pounds of baggage that I put in the passenger row. Then we add up our fuel weight, which was 288 pounds. And then we had zero baggage, so we don't need to add anything for baggage. And our total is 2,483 pounds for our ramp weight. So we put in 2483 for our ramp weight. And then now we're going to do the same thing for moment. Now, I didn't calculate all the moments, but we go the basic empty weight moment that we calculated by doing the weight times the arm. We take each row and we add those up. So we take the basic empty weight moment plus the pilot and front passenger moment plus the passenger rear seat moment plus the fuel moment plus the baggage moment and then we get that total and then we have the total ramp weight moment. So now we have a total ramp weight and total ramp weight moment. And now what we can do is if we wanted to, we can find our CG for our ramp weight, but we don't need to do that. We want our CG for our takeoff weight. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take our total ramp weight and we're gonna subtract here in this example, the Cherokee Warrior, they told us that you're gonna burn about seven pounds of fuel on taxi and run up. If it's a normal taxi and a normal run up, you can estimate about seven pounds of fuel. So we're going to take our 2,483 pounds and subtract seven from that to get 2,476 pounds. And we're going to add that into the last row for our total loaded airplane. And then we're going to do the same thing for moment. Now they've nicely calculated the moment that we will lose when we lose seven pounds of fuel on taxi and run up and it's 665. And so here in the example says minus 665. So we take that total ramp weight moment that we just added up. We added up all our rows to get a total moment. And we subtract 665 to that. And that's gonna give us our total loaded airplane at takeoff. All right, it's gonna, we're gonna now have the weight and the moment. And now if we want the CG, we can go back to our simple moment equation, which says moment equals weight times arm. Now the CG is basically just the arm. So we're just finding the arm. So if we rearrange that equation and solve it for the arm, again, we have moment equals weight times arm. If we just divide by weight to both sides, we get arm by itself equals moment over weight. So now that simple rearranging of that equation now gives us a tool to be able to calculate the CG. Because again, we have the total moment, total loaded aircraft weight, and total loaded aircraft moment in our tables at the very bottom row. We're just missing that arm. And that arm is going to be our total loaded CG or our CG. So if we take the moment and we divide it by the weight, we will get the arm or the CG for our aircraft as fully loaded. Now, with the example that I just went through, I'm actually beyond the weight. So if you notice that I said 2,440 pounds and the weight that we added up was 2,476 pounds. So this is the next step that we're going to take is we're going to check to see if our total weight and our CG are within the acceptable bounds or the flight envelope, the safe flight envelope that the aircraft manufacturers have detailed for our aircraft. Now this goes back to the last episode when I talked about the stability of our aircraft. That's how they determine the acceptable range of weights and CG arm locations for your aircraft because they want aircraft to remain stable. They set these 
ranges on total weight and these ranges on the CG location to make sure that if you stay within those ranges, your aircraft will remain stable and safe to fly. Now, when you're doing this for a cross-country flight plan, you will also want to repeat this calculation for your landing weights, right? So what's the difference between your takeoff weights and your landing weight? Well, it, that's the, the fuel that you've burned, right? Or you might, let's say, for example, if you're making a couple stops and you're dropping off passengers, you might lose a passenger and you might, might lose that weight. So depending on what stops you make, let's say, okay, so for example, let's say, we're gonna make one stop and we're gonna drop off a passenger and then we're gonna to fly to our final destination. So we would do like we just did, calculate our entire weight and CG with that passenger. And then when we get to the first stop, we wanna do that for our landing. And the only difference there is the fuel that we've burned during that flight. So we would reduce the amount of expected fuel burn from the fuel weight and we'd calculate that. Now, usually when you lose weight in the fuel, it's not gonna change your CG a lot. And why is that? Well, that is because the CG is usually very close and this is planned. That's why they put, one of the reasons why they put fuel in the wings, that's really close to the CG location. And so when you add weight or decrease weight from the fuel, it's not gonna change your CG location very much. It doesn't have a big arm from the location of your CG, so it's not gonna change it very much. So we can usually assume, now it's still good to calculate this, and apps like ForeFlight and flight planning apps will do this for you, but you still want to you know, estimate the fuel that you're gonna use during your flight and calculate that new weight and balance for your landing because you want a landing center of gravity and make sure you're in the safety envelopes for landing as well. So then we land at our first stop, we drop off that passenger, and then we take off again. So now the difference from when we very started is we've lost some fuel that it took to get to our first location, and now we've lost a passenger. And so now we're gonna calculate it a third time for our second takeoff to our final destination. So now we'll have another takeoff weight in CG minus the fuel we burnt to get there to the first stop and minus the passenger we lost. We will then again fly to our final destination. And now again, we've lost some more fuel. So then we will calculate it a fourth time for that landing. But again, when we lose fuel, it doesn't change the CG very much so we can probably assume that we're gonna be okay, but you still, especially for like a check ride, you wanna show that you've done that work and you know that you're still gonna be within bounds and safely have a safely stable aircraft. All right, so let's just go back to just focusing on one CG, the CG for takeoff, right? So we have our CG and total weight for takeoff, for our initial takeoff. So let's forget about, you know, losing a passenger and fuel and all that. We're just talking about our initial takeoff. So we're almost done with determining if our aircraft weights are safe for flight. The final step, and I alluded to this, is to use the second tool provided by the aircraft manufacturer. And this tool is called the weight versus CG envelope chart. And it looks something like what uh, you can see in the lesson in the online ground school. So it's almost like some sort of trapezoid, I guess. <laughs> I'm not really sure what kind of shape that would be, but it's got one, two, three, four, five sides. So I don't know if trapezoid's the right word. It's some sort of like augmented pentagon, right? So, and it has the left side. Let's talk about the bottom axis. It has two axes. It has horizontal axis at the bottom, and that's going to be the CG location, and that's inches aft of Dave. So that's your CG. And here in this chart, you see it goes from 83 on the left, and it goes 84, 85, 86, and there's lines going up for each one of these locations. 
all the way up to 93. And then for the vertical axis, it has aircraft total weights. So and it starts at 1200 pounds in this example, goes all the way up to a little bit above 2400 pounds or 2440 pounds. Because again, we, we said for this aircraft, the max gross weight is 2440 pounds. So the first thing you want to do is you want to take your weight, your total loaded weight and find it on this vertical axis and see if it's within the boundaries, right? So we said our weight was, what was it? 2,476. So, and we could have told you this right away. I mentioned it before that that's above the 2,440 max gross weight. And, but if you need the, the envelope to show you that too, you would just go up and try to find 2,476 on that vertical axis. And you would notice that it is above the envelope, this shape, this kind of augmented pentagon shape, trapezoid or whatever it is. It's above that top horizontal line that or the top boundary of the envelope, the flight envelope. So our weight is out of bounds. So we know it's above our max gross weight. So we're going to have to drop weight. I mentioned the easiest way to do that is to, it's just me, 180 pounds and our empty weight. And the reason we're close to the max gross weight in my example is because I, I used a heavy empty weight. In reality, this aircraft has a much smaller empty weight. So my example was a little off. I had a heavy empty weight, which put us heavy off the start. But let's just say that's real. Let's say we had a heavy empty weight because we got a lot of gadgets installed on the aircraft, heavy gadgets installed in the aircraft. So our empty weight has changed and it's really heavy. So it's just me, the 180 pounds, only 15 pounds of baggage. Let's say I'm only packing the essentials and then fuel. So the really the only thing that we can do to, to lose weight is to drop fuel. So we need to lose about, you know, we're, we're at 2,476 pounds. Our max weight is 2,440 pounds. So we need to lose 36, 2,476 minus 2,440 is 36. We need to lose 36 pounds of fuel. Now, again, remember we said that one gallon of fuel is six pounds. So if we do 36 divided by six, that equals six. And so we need to lose six gallons of fuel. So instead of having, again, I said we have 48 gallons total of fuel. So we fill up the left wing tank with 24 gallons and the right wing tank with 24 gallons. If instead we lose three gallons from each tank and we just do 21 total on the left, 21 total on the right, now we have a total of 42 gallons, which is going to give us a total of 252 pounds of fuel, which will put us right at max gross weight of 2,440 because we've lost 36 pounds of fuel. So if we got to this point, if this is a real example, and we calculated our entire you know, CG, we calculated all the moments or whatever, and then we realized, oh shoot, we're over the max gross weight. We would have to remove some fuel and then go back and recalculate basically everything because now we have a different number for fuel. So our total weight's going to be different our fuel moment's going to be different, right? Because the fuel moment is the fuel weight times the fuel arm to get the fuel moment. And that fuel weight is different. So that's going to change our fuel moment. And then that's also going to change the total moment. So we're going to have to recalculate the fuel row with the new fuel weight, which gives us a new fuel moment. And then we're going to have to recalculate the total weight and recalculate the total moment with those new fuel numbers. So make sure you're not trying to take shortcuts. A lot of students get into trouble on these types of questions on the FA written exam where they say, you know, you, you have to lose this amount of fuel or what's the CG after you lose a passenger or whatever. And they try to take shortcuts and just try and subtract the weight and arm and moment from the totals. But you have to go back, correct that row, and then recalculate that row and recalculate the total weights and moments and make sure you're not skipping anything and making any mistakes there. So 
Let's say we did that and we're at 2,440 pounds. So now what we wanna do is we go to the horizontal axis and we find our CG. Let's say for this example, our CG was 90. So find 90 on the axis at the bottom of this envelope and I would follow that line, the 90 line, up until it intersects with my weight line, which is the horizontal line from the vertical axis. So I'm at the very top because I'm, I'm at the very top for weight. So I'm at the very top line of our envelope at 2,440. And I would follow that by 90 line. And right there at that top line where that 90 line meets that top line of our envelope, I would make a little X or draw a little dot. And that is where we sit on the weight versus CG envelope. Now, I know this is kind of difficult to do in audio, but we have a bunch of examples in the online ground school and these visual aids that really will show you exactly what I'm talking about. So hopefully I've done a good job verbalizing this. So where we would sit on the envelope, you know, 90 CG location in 2,440 is just within bounds. We're right at the top limit on our weight. And then as we lose weight, we will come more within that, a little bit more within that in that envelope because we're losing weight. So we're coming, we'll be dropping down in that envelope. And the more you're in the envelope, the safer you are, right? Once you start to get on the boundaries of this envelope, you start to have issues with stability and being overweight. So now that's what I wanna talk about next. Now, if you look at the image on here, you have on the left side, so if your CG location is less than 83 inches from the reference point, that's the forward limit of 83. So the forward limit that these manufacturers have told us is we cannot have the CG location closer than 83 inches from our reference point. And then on the far right of this, we have an aft limit. The CG cannot be more than 93 inches away from our reference point. So the CG must be between in this range of 10 inches from 83 inches away from the reference point to 93 inches away from the reference point. It has to be within there and you have to be within the weight boundaries as well. Now, if you look at the shape, once we have a forward limit between 83 and 88, the maximum weight that we can fly at is less than that 2,440. So why is this? What this tells us is that when you have a CG that is this far forward, right, between 83 inches and 88 inches, so once you go under 88 inches, you can see that when you go to 87 inches, you gotta have much lower weight than 2,440 to stay within the bounds. Then when you, and it drops off as you go to 86 inches away, 85 inches away, the weight you can fly at is less and less and less. That's because as our CG is more and more forward on the aircraft, and again, we talked about this in the last episode, we're going to have a forward moment, which is going to pitch us down. And the more weight we have, the more forward moment we're going to have. And we can't have too much of that. Last week's episode, we talked about how that forward moment is a good thing, but we can't have too much of a good thing because if it's the CG is too far forward and we have too much weight and too much forward moment, it's going to make things like landing and flaring really, really hard because you have such a strong forward moment that you're going to be yanking back on the yoke and make landing, slow flight, stuff like that where you have to be delicate with the controls really, really hard, if not impossible. So that's why as you get really far forward on the CG, the weight at which you can have in your aircraft gets less and less and less. And that's what makes that shape, that diagonal shape of the upper limit on our envelope. Now we also have an aft limit 
right, for our CG. It can't be over 93 inches in this example away from the reference point. But we don't have, the weight does not change, right? We can still fly at 2,440 pounds, even up to an aft limit of 93 pounds. And this is because we still have a forward moment. And at this point, the added weight is actually helping us keep that forward moment that we want. Again, going back to last episode, we wanted a little bit of forward moment to have that positive static stability on the aircraft. And once we get up 93 inches away for the CG, that weight is okay. It's actually helping us. But when we go beyond the aft limit of 93, if our CG is further than 93 inches away from our reference point, what happens? Okay, so now we're starting to lose that forward moment. And there's actually, if we were to draw this envelope, it would actually drop off a lot. We would completely lose that forward moment. And we would be like, we're balancing a pencil on our finger, now the pencil is going to start dropping to the back. So now we're going to have a pitch up tendency, which is going to be a tendency to take us to a stall condition. And if that is a condition for no longer being stable. We lose that positive static stability of that natural forward moment, that pitch down moment that we have that then we counteract with the tail of our aircraft. So the natural forward pitch down moment gives us that positive static stability. And then the tail gives us over time that dynamic stability to get us back to equilibrium. But when we have our CG location too far aft, we lose that natural pitch down forward moment. And now it actually wants to pitch up on us and makes the aircraft completely unstable and it'll tend towards stall. So that is the deal with that aft limit and why the weight doesn't matter as much until you get to that. It's really just about the CG location. Once that CG is too far aft, we lose that forward moment. We're now behind that center of pressure and we now have a negative arm and we're going to lose that stability. Depending on your aircraft manufacturer, they may give you this information, the CG envelope in a different way. Instead of like a graph where there's like that modified pentagon or, or whatever that shape, you kind of, you find your CG, you find your weight and you make a dot and see if it's within that envelope. They may give it to you in tabular format. And these will also be kind of what the FAA gives you on the FAA written. They may give you a CG envelope question where you kind of do what we just did, where you got to find it on a chart like that, or they might give it to you in a tabular format. Now, so they'll give you two figures, figures 32 and 33 in the Airman Knowledge Testing Supplement, and they'll have different tables within these tables. So there's a, like a baggage table, and at the top it says the baggage station arm, and then it has our column for weight and a column for moment. You simply just find your weight and then it'll tell you the moment. Now be careful because the moment is, so if you're following along and you're looking at this figure in figures 32 and 33, they provide the moment in moment over 100. So what does that mean? So this is just the FAA using some shorthand. So for example, I'm looking at the baggage, the weight of 10, the first row for the weight of 10, that equals a moment, it says of 14, a moment over 100 of 14. So it's basically taking the moment, dividing it by 100, and then saying that instead. Basically what it's doing is they don't wanna write two extra digits. So when you divide something by 100, you take away the last two digits. So instead of 1400, it's now 14. Then the next one is listed as 28, moment over 100 of 28. So that would be a regular moment of 2800. So to get to the regular moment, just multiply it back by 100. They're giving you the moment divided by 100. So just if you want the regular moment, multiply whatever it says in that table by 100. I say this because this trips students up a lot on the FAA written exam because they might calculate a moment 
that's a regular moment, not moment divided by 100. And so they have one moment that's calculated and that's total. And then they get another moment from this table and they jot that down in their table. This is the moment over 100. So now they go to add up all the moments and now they're adding up a regular moment with a moment divided by 100. And those don't match. You're gonna make a mistake and your total moment's gonna be wrong. So what I like to do is I like to just keep everything in terms of total moments. So every time I take something from this FAA figure, let's say I take a moment and it says 196, I see that it's moment divided by 100, so I just add two zeros to it. So 19600, and that's what I write down on my scratch pad. So what you wanna do on the FAA written is you wanna build that table of the example we just did. You wanna write down all the stations as rows, and then next to them have a weight column, an arm column, and then a moment column that you calculate. What I'd like to do is write the regular moment, not the moment over 100. That way, if I'm always doing that, I'm always using regular moment. I just know that, that that's what I always do. I always convert to regular moment before I write it down. I'll never make that mistake of adding a regular moment with a moment divided by 100. All right, so then it's got other tables. It's got tables for occupants. So it has the front seats. It tells you the arm at the top. Then it has rows for weight and moment. And then it has rear seat. And again, it tells you the arm and it has the weight and moment column. And then it has usable fuel. And this example, it has auxiliary wing tanks. So you might have, that's an additional station for extra fuel that you would have to, it has its own arm. And so you might take extra fuel. This might be an aircraft with auxiliary wing tanks. So that's an extra station that you have to calculate. Okay. And it also has some information on oil. One thing I want to mention on these figures is they make it easy because you don't have to calculate the moment. Now that is only if your weight value is found in the table. So for example, let's go back to baggage. The baggage, these are the rows for weight of baggage, 10, 20, 30, 40. So it changes by 10 pounds of baggage each time. But what if your baggage is 35 pounds, right? It only has 30 and 40 pounds. So your value is not in there. There are two things you can do. You can either interpolate or you can just use the arm and the moment equation because it does list the arm, right? So instead of just taking the moment value in that row, it's not there because your weight value is not there. We want 35, not 30 or 40. So again, you could interpolate between the two moment values for 30 and 40 to find the value for 35. But interpolation is kind of annoying. So what you could do is you could just take 35, multiply it by the arm that's listed at the top of the table of 140, 35 times 140, and that will give you your regular moment, not the moment divided by 100, but your regular moment, okay? So there you go. You don't have to interpolate because it says the arm value at the top, and you can just use that handy dandy equation for moment, which is moment equals weight times arm. So you can do it either way. If your weight value is perfectly listed, like let's say we want 90 for baggage, we just look in the 90 row in the weight column, and then we just jot down the moment divided by 100, or what I like to do is write down the total moment, right? Not the moment divided by 100. So that in this example is 126 over 100. So I'd write down 12600 or 12,600 for my moment for 90 pounds of baggage. Okay, so going on to figure 33, this is then, now figure 33 is just a, another set of tables, and this is the CG envelope in tabular format. So it has three columns. It has a weight, a minimum moment, and a maximum moment. So instead of finding a CG and matching up with a weight and seeing if that's within the bounds of our Pentagon thing, we're now just gonna calculate our total moment and our total weight. We're gonna find our total weight in this table, and we're gonna see if our total moment is within the minimum moment and the maximum moment. 
So again, the FAA lists minimum moment divided by 100 and maximum moment divided by 100. So you're again gonna have to do that conversion. So whether you added up all your moments as regular moments, you would then take that total moment and divide it by 100 to then compare it to this table, or you can take these table values and just multiply them by 100. So whatever you do, just make sure you're comparing apples to apples. So let's say our total weight is 2,280 pounds and our total moment is 180,000 pound inches. All right, so now we would look for 2,280 pounds in the first yellow column in figure 33. So we would find 2,280, and then we would look at the minimum moment and the maximum moment now the minimum moment divided by 100, of course, because the FAA likes a short form, is 1,756 for the 2,280 pound weight. And the maximum moment is 1,954. Now our moment was 180,000. So that was regular moment. So if I want moment divided by 100 so I can match apples to apples in this table, I would just divide that by 100 to get 1,800. So let's divide that by 100. We get 1,800, that's our total moment divided by 100 so that we can now compare it to the FAA. So we look at 2,280 and our minimum moment is 1,756 moment over 100 and our maximum is 1,954 moment over 100 of 1,800 sits between, for our weight of 2,280, sits between the minimum and maximum moments of 1,756 and 1,954. So we are good to fly. We are within the envelope. So this is the tabular way to do this rather than the graphical way which we showed you previously. So let's do an example using these tables because these tables are used on the FA written exam. So let's say our empty weight is 2015, that is listed on figure 32. Our baggage is 60 pounds, our front seat is 200 pounds, and our rear seat is zero pounds. And then we have a usable fuel of 40 gallons, and if we take 40 gallons times six, we get 240 pounds. So now let's first find our moments. So our empty moment divided by 100 is 1554. We found that listed on figure 32. Now our baggage moment divided by 100 is going to be 84. This is found in figure 32 in the table for baggage or fifth seat occupant table. So we find our weight of 60 pounds in the weight column and we read off 84 in the moment over 100 column adjacent to it. So in this example, if you notice, I'm jotting down everything in moment over 100. Again, when I do this myself, I like to use the regular moment, not the FAA shorthand of moment over 100. But for this example, I'm showing you how to do it as moment over 100. Whatever you do, just keep it consistent because when you add them, they all have to be the same, apples to apples. All right, the next thing is front seat moment over 100. That is going to be 170. This is found again in figure 32 table for occupants, front seats, arm is 85. So we find 200 in the weight column and read off 170 adjacent to it in the moment over 100 column. Then our rear seats moment over 100 is going to be zero because our weight is zero. And if your weight's zero, your moment's zero because again, moment is weight times arm. So zero times anything is zero. Then finally, the usable fuel moment over 100 is 180. This is found in figure 32 table for usable fuel. Find the 40 gallons in the first column and read off the 180 in the third moment over 100 column. Now let's add up all the weights. So we add up our empty weight plus our baggage plus our front seat plus our rear seats plus our usable fuel. So that's 2015 plus 60 plus 200 plus zero plus 240 equals 2,515 pounds. That's our total weight. Now let's add up all the moments over 100. So that again, that's for that's the moment over 100 for our empty weight, our baggage, our front seats, our rear seats, and our usable fuel. So that's gonna be 
1,554. And again, these are moments over 100, all of them. They have to all be moments over 100. If you have one regular moment in here, your answer is going to be totally screwed up. Again, apples to apples. So all the moments over 100, that's 1,554 plus 84 plus 170 plus 0 plus 180 equals 1,988 pound inches for our moment over 100. Now, if we wanted to then convert that to just a, a normal moment, we would multiply it by 100 to get 198,800. Since our FAA chart is in moments over 100 for the envelope, let's just keep it like that as 1,988 pounds inches. So going back to what I was saying earlier, I like to do my normal calculations when I'm actually flying, not using these FAA charts as in normal moments. But on the FAA written exam, if you want to do the moments over 100 when you're using these charts, that helps out. You don't ever have to convert to a normal moment because in the end, you're going to use that envelope chart in moments over 100. The only time you might have to do a conversion is if your value is not found in that table. So what you do is you instead go the calculation route and you do the weight times the arm that's listed in there. And when you do that, you're going to get a total regular moment. So just beware if you do that for one of the stations, that's a total regular moment. And if you want it to all be in moments over 100, you would then have to divide that number by 100. All right, I think I've said that enough, but it's something that students get confused on a lot. So finally, let's use figure 33 to see if our moment lies within the acceptable limits for our associated weight of 2,515 pounds. 2000. To do this, we look at the second weight column and find that our weight sits directly between 2,510 and 2,520. So we don't have a row for specifically for our, our weight, right? We're between two of the rows. If we interpolate both the minimum allowed moment and the maximum allowed moment, we will get the acceptable range of moments for our weight. So this is something that is a little bit annoying to do because you have to do two interpolations. You have to interpolate to find the minimum moment that you need and then you have to interpolate again to find the maximum moment you need for your weight of 2515. There's also quicker ways to do this. You can just kind of use logic to see okay well if my moment is between you know both the minimum moments and both the maximum moments then I know that I'm good. That might be an easy way to do it as well. But for the sake of this we did the interpolation. We got a minimum moment of 1947.5 and again that's minimum mode over 100. And then the maximum moment over 100, we got 2,155.5. And again, I just put a note here. This is a shortcut to the full interpolation equation. It can be used because our weight lies directly between the two weights listed in the chart. So what we're essentially doing is finding the middle of the two moments listed. The equations above are still following the interpolation equation, but the x minus x1 term and the x2 minus x1 term, if you're familiar with that equation, is simplified to just be one half. This can be done when the thing we want is in the middle of the two values. When our weight is be directly between the two rows above and below it, you know, it's directly in the middle, we can do this kind of quick little shortcut instead of using that full interpolation equation. Once we know these values, we can determine that our moment of 1,988 lies safely between the minimum of 1,947.5 and maximum of 2,155.5. So we are good. Our weight and moment are within the bounds of the figures provided by the FAA. Okay, so that is the lesson on weight and balance procedure. Now, before we, we end the day, I just want to mention something about the interpolation. Now, I use a question or an example with interpolation I wrote this example back when the FAA was testing more on interpolations. We are hearing feedback that there are less interpolation equations and everyone's going to cheer like crazy when they hear this, but there's less if not no interpolation equations on the FAA written exam. 
Now, I can't guarantee you that you won't get one. So I think it's still good to know how to generally do some linear interpolation, at least know what it's doing and understand these shortcuts that you can make. But do not get too hung up on interpolation or memorizing the interpolation equation. The things you should remember here are the procedures and how to use these charts for the FA written exam and for your check ride. Again, don't get too caught up in memorizing that interpolation equation or banging your head about interpolation because for the FA written exam at least, maybe that your check ride examiner might have you do it. I'm not sure, but for your FA written exam, we are seeing less and less, if not no questions on interpolation. So I just wanted to throw that in there, even though I use that in an example, don't get too hung up on it because again, I just want you guys to focus on the procedure and using those charts. All right. So that has been one of our longest episodes because there's a lot to talk about with weight and balance. There's a lot you can get kind of tricked up on. And I wanted to really cover that, make sure, hopefully I did a good job on audio. It's, it's kind of hard to continuously explain the columns and the rows and the shape of the envelope and stuff like that. But hopefully I did a good job. It will help a lot if you have, you know, a visual example of this. And so in the online ground school, the next lesson that we have is weight and balance examples. And so I highly, highly recommend getting in that online ground score, going through those weight and balance examples. And then what we're also going to do is we're going to post a video of the weight and balance, some weight and balance examples in the show notes. So we have a video for this procedure that we'll put for you in the show notes. So go and check that out. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And you might just get your name and your review read off at the beginning of one of our next episodes. Thank you guys, as always, for the support. And I will talk to you next week. Hey, what's up, pilots? This is Nick. I wanted to take a second and talk about the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book. Now, we don't have a ton of reviews yet on Amazon, but a lot of people have gotten it, and we have a lot of good feedback from it. And the reason why is because it blows out all those other test prep books out of the water, right? If you've gotten a test prep book before, it's got a bunch of FA written test questions. It's good for that. It's good for that rote memorization, practicing those test problems and stuff. But if you want to learn beyond that, it might have some bullet point summaries of some of the subjects. It might tell you some tips on multiple choice test strategies, but that's about it, right? So what if you want to learn this stuff at a fundamental level? What if you want to go deeper on any of these topics because you're just not getting these topics? And the reason I made this is because we don't have anything physical. And I myself am someone who really likes to study with something physical in my hands. I like to take it with me to the beach, to the park, when I'm traveling, whatever. So I wanted to make a book unlike any of the other books. So that's what I did with the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep. So how is it different? Well, it's got all those test questions just like the other books. It covers every single subject just like the other books, but it breaks things down and explains all the concepts in simple English. And then you add in diagrams and visual aids that those books do not have. And then you also add in QR codes. You know, those little QR codes that you scan to bring up a menu that came around during COVID. So yeah, you can do that with your mobile device, your iPad, whatever, and it'll bring up a video lesson on what you're watching. We also have a bunch of QR codes in there for free downloads, as well as free practice tests that come with the book. So it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's only 37 dollars and it's got literally everything you guys that's why it's the ultimate test prep book it's the best bet you can get for one single book when you're studying for your private pilot test so check it out
Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're gonna hit a wall. You're gonna start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24 seven, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. 
We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.